Hello and welcome to the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. I am Sheila Ray Gregoire from the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum blog where we like to talk about how to make marriage into a passionate adventure and less of a to-do list. And I am here with my daughter, Rebecca. Hello. Um, and I'm actually staying at your place because you are right now, as of today, two weeks postpartum. postpartum. Yes, so we have a little baby. We do. Who is he's lovely. getting consistently less and less little by the day. Yes. <laughs> he's a real chunker. <laughs> but we had some issues. And so we thought that we would dedicate this podcast to just talking about postpartum stuff. Because we don't talk about that very much. We tend to talk about pregnancy problems and hormone problems and menopause. But we don't talk about the postpartum transition. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. So let's get into that. So, okay, why don't you sum up what has happened to you? Because seriously, everybody knows way too much stuff about you anyway, so may as well just throw it out there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So my postpartum recovery has been less than ideal, to yes. say the least. So yes. pretty much, first of all, during labor, um, little guy gave me a third degree tear, first right. of all. So at least it wasn't a fourth degree. At least it wasn't a fourth degree. We are counting our blessings. And explain what third degree means. Ah, yes. This is the nice way my, my the OB explained it to me. Um, that the tear has begun to interfere with the anal sphincter. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just the nicest possible way of saying you kind of tore your butthole a little bit. Like, yeah. It's yeah. horrible. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. So that's third degree tear I'm dealing with. And then on top of that, uh, the next day after I gave birth, I realized that the bottom of my stomach was getting really itchy. Mm-hmm. And I asked, you know, my midwives about it, and they're like, oh, well, it's probably just the nerves firing off because there's been a lot of changes and stretching, and it'll probably go away and die down 24 hours. Yeah. Well, it didn't. Nope. It got way worse. And, and it, I ended like, up... seriously scary worse. Like, it looked, yeah. it looked like I've never seen a rash like that. Yeah, so it ended up being a rash that spread across the entire lower region of my belly. And then spread down my legs to my ankles and on top of my feet, and then across all of my arms, including under my armpits, which, mm-hmm. let me tell you, is not a fun place to have an itchy rash. Right. So it's called pups, and it's a postpartum rash that most people actually get in the end of pregnancy, and then it clears up when you have the baby. A couple unlucky few of us. Yes, <laughs> one in 300, I yeah, think. Yeah, I think, I think I saw the stats are one in 300, get it, um get get pups at all right and then a smaller portion of that it comes on after you've had the baby so you're tired and you're dealing with postpartum recovery like normal and then you have this itchy rash that literally feels like you have poison ivy over your entire body right right yeah so becca wasn't able to walk because of the tear and then you also weren't able to sleep even though little guy's actually a pretty good sleeper yeah our baby sleeps through the night well, not, no, not, not really. Okay, as much as a newborn does. He wakes up like once or twice and that's it. Yeah. Um, so so if, if if it weren't for this pups thing, you'd be sleeping great. But the problem was you were waking up every hour and a half having to change ice packs. Yes, and... because it's literally that bad that the only way I could sleep is to literally numb my entire body by pouring ice over myself. Right. So, and these are the things that they just don't tell you. And I remember when, when I gave birth to you, I had... A third degree tear as well, mm-hmm. which, you know, interfered <laughs> with the <laughs> Victor, which, yeah, like you were born on January 19th. And I think the first day that I took you out for a walk outside of the apartment, I have it written down on our baby calendar was March 6th. Yep. So sounds about right. Yeah, it was it was bad. And and Keith went back to work after two weeks because he had to. And my mom was at work. And so I even though I wasn't supposed to be walking because it really did hurt. You know, um, 
I, I had to to look after you and I think that that prolonged it. So the fact that you're able to sit because I'm here probably means you're not going to be as long as me. But regardless, the point is that some people go through a lot more postpartum than others. Yeah, it's very true. And like postpartum on its own is not fun. You're crampy and mm-hmm. you just feel kind of gross and your body's doing weird things. Yeah, and the more that the more that women walk around, the more the bleeding gets worse yeah too because so it's like in that first month you have you're just you're just a mess of body fluids like you're still bleeding <laughs> right you have you, you haven't a lot of people haven't completely figured out how to have control <laughs> over their urination and other things exactly <laughs> a little while you seem to just fart all the time yep. you know and then you have milk like if your milk supply a lot of people have the problem with not having enough milk, but if you do have milk, sometimes you have so much that you're just soaking yourself all the time. Yeah, exactly. And then there's also the whole crack nipples conversation as well. Right. And 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 then your baby, if you have a boy, um as we have learned, he you know, I had I had girls, so I didn't go through this as much, but but boys, when they pee when you're changing their diaper, it goes up in an arc. Yes, it does. When girls pee when you're changing their diaper, it just kind of pools beneath them. So they're just sitting there happily while they pee on whatever is below them. But boys pee all over their grandmother. Yes. Or or whoever else is changing them. Narrowly miss the dog. Yes. <laughs> so there's just a lot going on. And we often talk, I think the, there's a great conversation about postpartum depression. Yes. Which, which is so necessary. And we do need to be talking about this more and more because it is a very real thing. But what there isn't a lot of talk about is just preparing people for how difficult the postpartum time is. Yeah, even just like the nitty gritty of what is your body actually doing to recover? What's actually happening? Why is it so difficult for you to actually do anything for that first month? And what's normal, what's not? Mm -hmm. Because I think that also a lot of the overwhelm, a lot of how overwhelmed you feel when you have a kid. I think can be made a lot worse if you really weren't expecting to have such a horrible recovery period. <laughs> yeah. And I had, you know, I I gave birth to three children and it was all very different with, with Christopher, um, who was born, he was only five pounds and he was born. I actually walked home from the hospital. So, you know, I had no problems at all. Um, that probably wasn't the wisest thing because I did start bleeding a little more heavily, but I did walk home from the hospital. I really wasn't in a lot of pain at all. With Katie, I was in some pain for like a couple days, even though she was she was nine pounds four, so she was quite a big one. But I could walk again, no problem, within three to four days. Mm-hmm. Um, you, but that tear really put me out of commission for quite a while. And then C-sections, lots of people get C-sections when they weren't planning that too, and then you just can't lift anything. Well, you can't even do laundry or something because you can't lift the laundry basket if you have a C-section. And mm-hmm. I mean, you know, what happens when you have a baby is there's a lot of laundry to do. Yeah. <laughs> and when you're just, you know, starting to get into the routine. So uh, um, this is when you really, really need the dad. Exactly. And you really need other help. Yeah, that's something that I've been so grateful for, is Connor has honestly just been fantastic. Like, over the last two weeks, especially since he became, like, you know, a dad, it was really cute. Like, he (laughs) loves taking care of this kid. Mm -hmm. But the big thing, too, is that he actually has been on my case in a very annoying way, making sure that I don't move. Mm -hmm. Like, when when you guys weren't here, because we had a couple of days where it was just me and Connor last week. And pretty much any time I wasn't lying down in bed or in the chair breastfeeding the baby, 
Mm-hmm. Connor was death glaring me across the apartment and like, get back in bed. Yeah. What are you doing? Oh, I'm just refilling my water bottle. Is that something I can do? Yes. Well, then get back in bed. <laughs> yeah. And that's what we need. That's what, honestly, I think dads need to do. But a lot of men don't understand um, how difficult the recovery can be. Yeah. And I think that a lot of that is because we have this kind of idea that labor's the hard part. Mm-hmm. But labor only really lasts for a day. Yeah. Unless you're really unlucky. <laughs> like, unless you're really unlucky. Yeah. Labor's a day. Right. Postpartum recovery is a month. Mm-hmm. Six weeks. Mm-hmm. And your body doesn't feel the same afterwards either. And mm-hmm. I just think to all the comments that we get from women whose husbands are, like, asking for sex two weeks in. <laughs> And I'm like, no, (laughs) no, that shouldn't be a conversation. Have some compassion. Yeah. Like, no. Yeah. And especially if you have a tear, just for women who don't know, like they send you home from the hospital, at least here in Canada. And I know they did for me as well with this thing called a sits bath. Oh yes, where Which your is, dignity goes to die. Yes, this is this set. Okay, so it's it's this little it's this little contraption. It looks like a potty. For it a does. Kid. It it is a potty for a kid, which sits on top of between the the toilet Bowl. rim, the toilet rim, and the toilet seat. So you lift up the toilet seat, you put it in there, and you're supposed to sit in it. And the reason you have to sit in it, there's several reasons, but one of them is because you can't really clean yourself because you can't rub any toilet paper anywhere. Exactly, because there's all these little knots from the stitches poking out of you. Yeah. Like, toilet paper will get caught. It's just all disgusting. <laughs> it's all weird. And I'm sorry, but if your husband, if you're sitting there with a tear and your husband's like, honey, I want some. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the time to have a real conversation with him about compassion. Yeah, because you just, you can't, yeah, it just shouldn't even be a thing. And even if you don't have a tear that badly, it does take a while for you to get back, to bounce back. Well, you're not supposed to do anything for six weeks, no matter if you tore or not. That's right, yeah. your body needs time to recover. Yeah, and so, and, and, and you really should get looked at by a doctor too. There can be scar tissue. A lot of women find that childbirth, they may have had pain-free sex before childbirth, but after childbirth, that's actually when vaginismus kicks in. So there's two there's two different groups of women who really suffer from vaginismus, which is pain during sex. There's there's one that is right when you're um right when you start sexual activity. And then there's the other after childbirth when you've got potential for scar tissue and um and you just have, have really impacted the pelvic floor muscles. And yes, so that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. It's interesting. We've heard that in France um, people get three, I don't know if it's three or six, but it's a number of free pelvic floor physiotherapist appointments after you give birth yeah. because it's expected that women are going to need something. In North America, that's not really a thing and it should be. Yeah. In North America, most people I've talked to who have kids don't even know about pelvic floor physiotherapy. Right. So big plug here for pelvic floor physiotherapy. Um, because you know, those are important muscles. They help control urination. Uh, they they are lar- they are largely impacted in how much we have sexual satisfaction too, um, and they help you just feel tighter again after childbirth because sometimes you can just feel like it's all just hanging out. Exactly. <laughs> so that's important. Um, but I yeah I I know that we get so excited about childbirth and we think when the baby's here my life is going to get back to normal and for a lot of people that doesn't happen. Yeah, and I think that if you go into it expecting a period of recovery, 
because I didn't think that I would have a third degree tear and pups. I really didn't. No. The the actual odds of that happening, <laughs> the third degree tear is only 6% of women. And then the pups is less than 0.3% of women. <laughs> yeah. You combine them, infinitesimally low odds of me having both. <laughs> but the thing is, I was expecting to have at least some sort of recovery. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I've heard about... Well, because I had it badly for you. You had it bad, and because I was the one who caused the bad recovery, <laughs> I have heard much about said bad recovery. Right. You know? And so I expected to have at least some sort of recovery period, and we were already planning on having Connor take time off of work, or only work part-time for Mm -hmm. about a month. Mm -hmm. And so it made this whole postpartum thing, even though it was rough, it made it a lot easier to handle. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think it's important to talk about, so that it isn't like there's this huge shock, like, oh my gosh, you mean I'm not going to feel like myself in only a week. Right. But if you think about it, you know, you have to take take these two sits baths a day, which are supposed to be about half an hour long. Yep. You're supposed to sit on this thing. Um, it's filled with warm water, and then you can refill it with... It's, it's this whole contraption looks like an IV thing. Right. <laughs> you fill it back up with warm water. It's just so dignified. And so you go, and then you also have to do the oatmeal bath for the pups. Yep. And then you have to slather all this cream all over yourself. Like, so much. And then the baby needs to eat every two and a half, three hours. Like, that's basically your, your whole, whole day. Your whole day. Yeah. Um, and and so the idea that a woman can do that while also looking after toddlers, if she had some, and while also making dinner, it just isn't feasible. No, I really don't think it is. I mean, even Connor had a hard time getting all that done. So he had to do everything except for um, mm-hmm. feed the baby because obviously I'm the one to do that. Right. But he had, but because I at the beginning, I, I literally couldn't walk very well. He had to like get the whole sits bath ready for me. He had to run my bath for mm-hmm. the oatmeal bath and all that kind of thing. And he had time to make me food, but he realized he didn't actually have time to eat any himself. Right. <laughs> so he would have all this food made. Yes. But he so actually that's... only ate like one or two meals a day. So that's why I stayed because when we came to visit you last weekend, Connor looked like death warmed over. He looked worse than you did. So I, I mean, like... the poor man, he was just being fantastic. <laughs> but now that I'm doing a little bit better. The nice thing is, you know, we're going to be in a bit more of a manageable period. But it did take two solid weeks for me to get to the point where I could make my own breakfast. I made a peanut butter and jelly sandwich yesterday. That was a big thing. And that was a big thing. But so, so for those people who don't have a husband who is super... Oh, by the way, let me just say, and I will link to this in the podcast description... I think it's ridiculous. Like, I, I usually don't get political. I'm going to get political here for a minute. I think it's ridiculous that the U.S. does not have better maternity leave things because yeah. I think all you're actually obligated to have is two weeks, which would mean if you were in the U.S. working, you would be going back to work tomorrow. Yes, which is ridiculous. I'm literally not medically cleared yeah. to do that. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you cannot recover from childbirth necessarily in, in six weeks. weeks. And the baby's not even on schedule. And so... In Canada, we have a full year. Yeah. Um, you can even stretch that to 18 months. And it's been like that since you were a baby. Yep. So I just don't even... Anyway, I'm totally in favor of parental leave laws. I will put a link to the post that I wrote about that because we really... It's just a question of, of humanity. Well, and the other thing we were talking about, too, is all the single moms out there mm-hmm. dealing with this. Okay. So, so yeah. And so I do want to say, what do you do if you don't have a Connor and you don't have a mom? Yeah. Right, like if you're if the dad is back at work immediately, which many guys are, and if you don't have a mother who can come, and I think this is where we need to be honest as women that we need help because you know if you if if Becky if you had been my third rather than my first, Mm -hmm. 
that's a very different thing. Like I think I think because uh, Christopher was an easy labor and an easy recovery. Katie, yeah. despite how huge she was, was not actually difficult. She was a very difficult baby, but the recovery was not difficult. She yes. just decided not to sleep. Yes, and then she had colic, but but <laughs> but the recovery wasn't that bad. But um, you know, but so I think a lot of women may go through labor but not have this difficult recovery. So they may not understand that when their friend has goes through labor she actually is going through something worse postpartum than you did yeah because not all women have a terrible postpartum time exactly and so i think we need to 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 be honest with our friends and say you know and and say like this is what the doctor said like i'm not i'm not being a wimp (laughs) like i'm literally not allowed to walk around (laughs) you know and and yeah i think we need to be in communities where we can ask for help yeah, and we also need to recognize that your friend or the people in your community, they may need help in a way that you didn't. And just because something was easy for you when you recovered postpartum does not mean that they're going to find it easy to. Mm-hmm. There might be other factors at play. Mm-hmm. I know when my cousin gave birth, um, my mom went out uh, several times just to bounce the toddlers uh, because my cousin had had a C-section and so she couldn't be lifting yeah. the toddlers. Which is a big problem. Um, C-sections are actually, I think, more problematic for your second and third ch- ch- children than they are for the first because you literally cannot lift Yeah, you know, the children that you already have. So that's a big recovery thing. It really is. Mm-hmm. And then I think one of the best things that we can do for new moms is honestly provide meals. I think so too, especially since it's so difficult to actually cook when you have a baby. Mm-hmm. And so you don't want to just live off of like... I don't know, takeout and sandwiches, but that kind of is the only option for a lot of people. That's why we did that whole slow cooker meal day. Yeah, yeah. And you can get those downloads. We we had a big slow cooker uh, cooking day with Katie, my other daughter, and Rebecca before she gave birth. And uh, we do have a download so you can get all of our recipes and stuff too. So that will be in the description for this podcast. Yes, it will. One, one tip I have too, if you were going to um, provide meals for someone who has just given birth or for someone who is grieving or whatever reason they may have for meals, I think it's always nice to say, hey, I want to make you a meal. Would you like meatballs and rice, macaroni casserole, or lasagna? <laughs> like, give yeah. people a choice because sometimes people end up with like eight lasagnas. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. And, and so, and so that, can, that can really be useful. I think what I want to really just emphasize too is that the postpartum transition is a difficult one. You know, God made babies so that they cry for food every two and a half to three hours. Like, in fact, if they're going three hours, you're lucky in those first few days, you know? And and so you really are attached to this little one. Plus, there's a lot of physical things that women are still getting over. I think that postpartum time, like that first month, women just are not supposed to be doing a whole lot. Other than paying attention to your baby. Yeah, and this is the chance, I think, where husbands really have an opportunity to step mm-hmm. up and really show what caliber of mm-hmm. man they are mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Like, and we're not saying that every husband needs to take time off because you don't have the same you don't have that option all the time. What we're what I'm talking about is the compassion, the understanding, the selflessness, the waking up with your wife for the midnight feedings to make sure she stays awake, just to mm-hmm. show solidarity. Mm-hmm. Like those kinds of things are really, really meaningful in this period. And you have an opportunity to not just do the bare minimum, but to honestly make your wife just so proud of who she married and just Mm -hmm. so in awe of what a great man you are. Mm -hmm. Because that's kind of how I'm feeling with Connor, just because he's taking (laughs) such good care of us. Yeah. And then I would just say, 
let's let's keep this conversation going because it's not only postpartum depression, although that is a major thing that we do need to talk about more. And I'm so glad that is becoming a big conversation. But I don't think we talk enough about the physical aspects of postpartum. Exactly. So let's talk to the women that we know who are pregnant and just say, you know, if you have a rough time afterwards, you're not alone. <laughs> and, you know, this is what happened to me. And, uh, and let's keep that conversation going because we need, we need women to understand you are going to get better. You are going to get over this. It's a couple of weeks that are really rough, <laughs> but you will get over this. And if you don't, there is help available. Yeah. And you can still enjoy those couple of weeks, even while they're rough. Although they are a lot more enjoyable if you're not itchy. They really are. <laughs> if you enjoy listening to the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast, I just encourage you to give it a five-star rating and then review it. That helps so much getting other people listening in. So please just head on over to iTunes, to Spotify, to wherever you listen to this thing and give it a wonderful rating. I just want to read to you another review that came in recently. A woman said that it was uplifting, upbuilding, and encouraging. She said, great balanced content. I love Sheila's perspective and have been so built up by her blog and now through this podcast. I really enjoy being able to listen and be built up while going on about my life. And that's what I love about podcasts too. I tend to listen to them while I'm jogging. So it, it's really my only time just to keep my head totally clear and I love it. Also, thank you to those people who've been saying they've been enjoying the Start Your Engines men's podcast on the last Thursday of every month. I do try to give guys some helpful tips about how women work and answer some of their questions and give some of their perspectives. So that's been really encouraging to see some of that feedback come in as well. So please rate this a five star and don't forget to subscribe too. going to change gears a little bit for this reader question segment and instead of doing postpartum I want to talk about other issues that can come up in that region of the body and one of the things that I do talk about a lot on the blog is vaginismus or pain during sex because that was my story I've shared that a lot in the good girl's guide to great sex in nine thoughts that can change your marriage just about how that impacted the first few years of our marriage and Maybe because of that, I get a lot of people writing in and asking me about it. That's also one of the reasons, by the way, that we are doing our sex and marriage survey. We want to find out um, if there's anything that tends to cause sexual pain. And also, what are the big ingredients to women's marital and sexual satisfaction? So if you have not done our survey yet, please take it, ladies. If you are married or if you have ever been married, the link is in the description to this podcast. So take our bare marriage survey. Uh, but this is a problem that a lot of people have. But just like postpartum problems, we don't tend to talk about it. And so when it happens, people are just completely taken aback. They, they were never expecting it. They don't even know there's a name for it. Uh, they don't know any anyone else who has it and they think they're really alone. So a husband wrote in recently and here is what he said. My wife and I waited until marriage to try to have sex and when we got to our honeymoon we found we couldn't. She was too tight, there was physical blockage and even attempting it was immensely painful. We went to her OB and found that she had an obstructive extra thick hymen and so she went through surgery to correct it thinking that would solve everything and we could connect and be together. Unfortunately and depressingly, once she was healed and we started trying again, we had the same issues and the OB said she thought it was vaginismus. My wife is incredibly shy and she hates going to the OB in general. We have started to try what the OB recommended, massaging her opening with a numbing gel to try to relax the muscle, but it's very painful for my wife. I suggested maybe a pelvic floor specialist or something, but she is still not sure she would be comfortable with anyone else doing anything down there. 
I just am struggling to know what to do, how to help us progress and get to becoming one flesh in our marriage. We pray about it a lot and we are just feeling so discouraged and so hopeless. Okay, I just want to say I really feel for you. If you if you are in this situation, just please know that my heart goes out to you. That is so disappointing. You've waited for sex, you anticipated sex, you thought it was going to be amazing, and then you get married and you have this incredible pain. And the guy feels so terribly guilty because this was something he completely dreamed about and wanted and now it's causing his wife pain if he even tries it so then he feels guilty for wanting it and she feels like a failure and like she's not even a wife and it just can spiral downward so quickly so I completely understand what he's saying and there honestly is no other way through this except to get help I know she's uncomfortable with help and you just lose a lot of dignity with people feeling around down there. And a lot of people do not like that. It can it can cause us to clam up even more. Um, but we do need to learn how to control those muscles. And there are exercises that you can do. And there are things that you can do that can help you relax those muscles. The numbing gel is not a good idea in and of itself. I must say, um, pelvic floor physiotherapists, what they really do is is they do a comprehensive treatment. And while some may use a numbing gel, it would always be used in conjunction with something which is actually going to help the muscles. So I'm not super comfortable with that. I think it would be much better to, to go to an actual specialist in this area. And OBs are not, a lot of them just are not trained in how to handle vaginismus. This really needs to be seen by a physiotherapist. Uh, I know she doesn't like that, but I think reassuring her, first of all, that what she is going through does not mean that she is broken. Okay, she just has a physical problem, just like your eyesight might mean that you can't see as well. You might have a hearing problem. Some people have arthritis where their joints don't work as much. Well, she has issues with her pelvic floor muscles. That doesn't mean that they can't be cured. Um, and that doesn't mean that she caused it or that there's anything wrong with her. I think also just reassuring her that she is not alone. You know, in the literature, they say that roughly 4% of women have vaginismus to this extent that, that this man's wife does, where you can't actually achieve penetration. But that rate is actually higher, they found, among conservative religious populations. So conservative Muslims, conservative Christians, conservative Jews, they tend to have vaginismus at much higher rates. And so... If you look around your church, likely at least one in 10 women has dealt with sexual pain. So she is not alone. She may not know anyone else who has gone through it because we just don't talk about it. And when I was writing The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, I debated a lot as to whether I was going to include my story. And I finally decided that I had to because I needed to tell y'all that I know what it's like to not enjoy sex and to have sex being a big imposition and to have it be something that my husband and I are in conflict over because the fact that he wants sex actually physically and emotionally hurts me. And so this was a huge emotionally fraught thing for us early in our marriage. And I felt like it was important for y'all to know that I did go through that, but also that I got over it. And a lot of getting over it was learning certain exercises. For me, also just getting to a point in my marriage where I could completely trust my husband because I did have a lot of trust issues going into my marriage and that affected me a lot. 
But I also wanted women to know that they weren't alone because I felt very alone when I went through this. I had never heard of anybody else who went through it. And really, until I started blogging, I never met anyone else who had gone through it. And now I get emails all the time from women who are dealing with this. And there are so many of my commenters who are dealing with this. Um, and, and so you aren't alone. And I think if women can realize, okay, I am not broken. This is something I can get over. It's not going to be easy to get over. It's going to be a little bit humiliating. I'm going to have to give up some of my dignity. I'm going to have people do things that I'm not totally comfortable with, but the end goal is a good one. And to know that you are not alone, that other women have gone through this, just lets you know that, yeah, you know, people have gone through it. They have gotten over it. I don't need to feel hopeless. So I think that's why it's just so important to talk about these things. And that's really what I wanted from this podcast. It's good for people to know that, yeah, life does not always go as perfectly as we see in the movies or on TV or in the books or we expect it to go. Postpartum can be difficult. Getting adjusted to sex can be difficult. Some of us have a rougher time of it than others. And when we tell other people our stories, then we let people know they're not alone, that there is hope and they can get over this. I have a bunch of posts on vaginismus on the blog, and I have some posts about what to expect from a pelvic floor physiotherapist, and I will highlight those posts in the links in the description to this podcast. I have a whole post that always goes along with the podcast that is linked in the description to this podcast. So please um, check that out and you can see more posts if you're going through some sexual pain as well. So thank you for joining us for this To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. I'll be doing more of a regular podcast back next week when I'm back at work full time after welcoming my grandson into the world. Uh, A couple of things you can do for me in the meantime. Please, again, go rate this podcast five stars and leave a review. And please fill out our sex and marriage survey. We're hoping to do the largest survey that's ever been done of Christian women. And we're actually so far ahead of where we would thought that we would be by now. We've got way more responses than we thought we would have. So um, let's keep them coming because that helps us so much with our research. And it also helps people take us seriously when we say, look, here's what women really need if they want to be happy in marriage and have great sex in marriage. And honestly, isn't great sex in marriage what men want too? So (laughs) come on over, fill out our survey. You can find the link in the description to this podcast and check out our podcast post as well. And as always, um, come see me on To Love, Honor, and Vacuum dot com.